everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Internet of Things podcast. This is your host, Stacey Higginbotham, and here is your co-host, Kevin Tofel. And today I am at CES. We are recording this Wednesday morning. So there is one more press day at the Consumer Electronics Show, but we already have so much to talk about. We are yep. going to hit more news than you can imagine. We're actually going to have a special CES edition of the podcast that's going to come out Monday. So keep a lookout for that. And we also, because we're crazy, have a guest this week. We've got Tim Crawford, who is basically a CIO for hire, talking about how CIOs need to think about the internet of things. So you've got your enterprise, you've got your consumer. We also have a sponsored message from Samsung. And we also have a message from this week's other sponsor, Level Education. Are you prepared for the future? IoT is going to be huge. It's going to be everywhere. So prepare for the future with IoT training from Level Education and Cisco. They've developed a program called IoT Core that is a 15-week blended learning experience for the foundational knowledge associated with the Internet of Things. There's going to be ample hands-on learning opportunities, real-world examples, online learning, hackathons, and project-based learning. So you will emerge from this experience as IoT-ready. The course starts February 13th, and to find out more, go to leveledu.com slash IoT. Okay, Kevin. I don't even know where uh, to begin. Well, how, how are you holding up? I am not at CES, just to be clear. I, after 10 years, I took a hiatus. Uh, so how are you holding up? Wait, a hiatus? Does that mean we could get you back in a year or two? I'm missing it a little bit. I'm missing the peeps. I'm missing the, the town and, and all the cool gadgets. See? And there are so many cool gadgets. I have seen so much stuff. So I have seen connected hairbrushes, toothbrushes, Oy. heaters, space heaters that are powered by CPUs that you know, actually sell the compute power from them. I've Hmm. seen car stuff. I've seen appliances that work with the Echo. I have seen other Echoes. I have seen robots. I have seen lights. Always the lights. I I have seen the future and it is IoT. Exactly. (laughs) Um, There were, there actually have been many handset launches. I just Mm -hmm. don't care about them. But basically, (laughs) if you can put a chip in it, it exists. So... We'll kick it off with crazy stuff first. So the craziest thing, I was at CES Unveiled last night, which is a bunch of startups and a bunch of press looking at Mm -hmm. them. Um, And the craziest thing I saw was connected grooming products. This is apparently a theme. So (sighs) there are connected toothbrushes, and there have been for a while. And I've actually tried a connected toothbrush. Colibri, I can never say the name, is a French company, and they're making a toothbrush that now has AI to help you brush better. And if you want to just combine two macro trends together, IoT plus AI, it basically means that like this device is tracking all this data about you and it's trying to adapt to you. Mm-hmm. That's it. This is not going to be a toothbrush that you know becomes sentient and takes over the world. Or brushes let's your ho- teeth for let's, you. Let's hope not. <laughs> My enamel, it's gone. So <laughs> this toothbrush is, I don't even know what to say. well that tells you everything right there (laughs) i was like it's expensive they've had one for a while this is 79 dollars for this toothbrush 
that's a special introductory price, and then it's 130. I will tell you that there is a company that makes a beam connected toothbrush that is actually the toothbrush is part of an insurance package. So you hmm. buy your insurance and they through beam and they send you this toothbrush. So there is a business model here. I don't know if it's a consumer business model. Mm. So there you go. You'll you'll know about your brushing habits. But even more ridiculous, Kevin, do you want to tell them about the even more ridiculous oh, items? Well, considering I haven't even combed my hair yet today, I think, yes, this would be a good thing for me to talk about. Um, and this, to me, I could be wrong. People may disagree, and that's fine. To me, this is just a classic case of let's put chips in something and call it smart because we can. This is a new hairbrush uh, that is the collaboration of uh, Why Things which is owned by Nokia, and L'Oreal, which is very uh, prominent in the personal care space. They've created a hairbrush that has both Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, and of course, it has an app, uh, not on the toothbrush, uh, the, the uh, hairbrush rather, but on your phone. Uh, there's sensors in the hairbrush, and based on the sensors and the Bluetooth and the Wi-Fi and the app, uh, the hairbrush can determine if your hair is unruly because maybe you spent a lot of time combing or brushing your hair today. It can tell if your hair is damaged, has breakage, is dry, or is tangled. It even has a microphone. I mean, microphone, accelerometer, oh. gyroscope. I mean, it's- So the microphone might be useful because I know that at every slumber party I attended, <laughs> the hairbrush was employed as a microphone when we did our dancing. Yeah, but it's not really there for karaoke. It's it's there to hear your hairbrush patterns, according to uh, the product folks. It sounds interesting, an interesting use of applying technology and sensors. And But really, do we really need that? I mean, this thing's going to cost, I think, over $200. That is a lot of money for a hairbrush. I will be honest. So yeah. I will say the only thing, the only pro there, and I wouldn't spend it, is my mm -hmm. daughter has unruly tangled hair. And I think part of that reason is because she doesn't always brush it. She's like me. I, I actually didn't own a brush for years because my mm -hmm. hair was finger combable. Also because I'm me. And she doesn't brush her hair, but she needs to. And holy cow, I would love something that's like, dude, brush your hair. Brush your hair. And tells her. But that's about it. I wouldn't spend $200 on it. That use case makes sense to me, but I'm not even sure that this will do that. I think this is going to capture all the information of the brushing activity, not remind you to do the brushing activity. Well, and so let's, this segues nicely into another theme that I'm seeing at CES, which is data collection. So mm. by companies, like, so L'Oreal, I'm sure... I'm sure that the data they get here from everybody's hair is so like a thousand times better than market data from consumers. Sure, now, sure. They're like, oh, I can sell you the exact conditioner and shampoo that you need. And that kind of ties into a couple other products that we've seen, which is there is a smart Echo-like device called the Aristotle that Mattel <laughs> is making. For kids, and basically, it, it's a baby monitor. You can talk to it. It also has a camera. What's interesting is it's it's designed to give your baby, you know, just talk with your baby a bit. But it also does things like if it sees your child playing with a Mattel toy, it's going to the idea is that it will produce extra special effects. 
Mm -hmm. And then all of that data is going to go back to Mattel. So basically, you're spending $300 to enroll your child in the most intrusive focus group ever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and that's worth a lot to a company such as Mattel in this case. Um, It's an, I don't want to say an easy way, but it's an effective way for them to to get uh, product information on how kids use their products, what preferences these kids may have and uh, that skews them towards other products and so on. Yeah, I mean, in, in a sense, this almost goes all the way back to when they first started loyalty cards, reward cards in stores. Everybody's like, oh, these are great. I get discounts on all my stuff. Yes, but you were giving up all your demand preferences to the stores. And this is just, I'll call it a, you know, a more modern way to do so. Loyalty cards 2.0. Mm-hmm. So, and kind of tied to this same theme, because it's not just happening in your home, United Healthcare has a program called United Healthcare Motion. And what it does is it offers employers, so these are your boss, basically, the ability to gather fitness data and set goals for their employees, like walk 10,000 steps a day or walk for five minutes for six hours during the day. Mm-hmm. And all of these things. And the idea is your employees can earn up to $4 a day in like health savings account kind of money. So it'd be money that goes towards your HSA. And the idea is that, you know, healthier employees cost you less. So this is a cheap way to kind of push your employees to be a little bit, do things that are. Right. Healthier. It incentivizes. Yes. So what they've done at CES is they've done they've allowed Fitbits, so you can bring your Fitbit data in, um, and then they also have a deal with Qualcomm. Qualcomm has a health platform called Two Life, and they're they're working with that. And the program itself has been expanded to forty states, up from twelve states about a year ago. So I really feel like, given all of these things, we really need to start having this conversation about privacy. And, and make people aware that when you use these products right now, your data in most cases is going to a company and they're going to be using it. And it's not negative all the time, you know, No, no. to make a better toy, you know, based on watching kids play is not a bad goal, but no, but what worries me a little bit, companies have been collecting data for years, so that's not different. But in this particular case, okay, so the data is going back to United Healthcare, and that can save people money because they get the credits and so on. But what if the employer is getting that information too? And I do not know that they are or aren't. I'm just thinking out loud here. And eventually, employers start putting that into like um, job evaluations, you know, like, well, you're not as healthy as you need to be to do well in this job and so on. Maybe your um, mental fitness is down because you're not getting enough physical fitness. I mean, I don't know that I want that. That's a real question. I have tried, guys, so many times to get an HR person on the show who mm-hmm. can talk about this, like, knowledgeably. Cause, Good luck. <laughs> yeah, it is. Because the HR people that I have talked to that aren't on the show, they have said they don't want that data. Their company should avoid having that data because it's mm-hmm. because of issues like that. But it is at a certain point, it is like, how can we not take this data? Because it will be so impactful on our bottom line. Right. And that is a big question. And that's why if you pop some laws in there or you have standards, maybe we can not even open that door because that's a door that you should just leave shut. 
I would agree. <laughs> Maybe I'm crazy. So no, I don't think so. <laughs> yes. So there was a lot of stuff for kids. There's there's the Curry Home Robot that was roaming around, and that basically visually recognizes your kids. Let me tell you guys, computer vision was everywhere. Mm-hmm. It was just everywhere, which is is good. It's actually very helpful in some cases. The thing is that with computer vision, I mean, this, the camera sensors have been capable for quite a while to enable this. That hasn't been the issue. It's been the um, the machine learning and the recognition that the algorithms and, and sifting through the data to actually make the recognition that's been lacking. And I think many companies have made great strides in the past, I'll say, two years on that front to bring it to a, an effective but inexpensive level. Yes. And this, this robot, which is not actually available, let's be real clear. It's not coming out till next, uh, the holiday season. So that's crazy, but it's, it's $700. It's $699. Um, it, it talks to your kids. It reads to them. It roams around your house looking for things that are wrong. If they stuck a vacuum in it, maybe that'd be fun. You know? Yeah. Make it useful for crying out loud. Cause it, again, this is my thing about robots. I haven't seen the laundry folding robot that has been touted being as being here. I want my robot to do more than just roam around my home looking for things that are wrong. Because I yeah. have a dog, and my dog uh, is going to totally tell me everything. I was going to say, my pets do that just fine. Yeah. So that's my thought. Another big trend I'm seeing is, holy cow, the service provider market with IoT is getting really interesting. And we're going to talk more about this on the special, our special edition episode. But quickly... Alarm.com actually has introduced something called its insights program. And basically any smart devices that they have in your house, they're pulling data on it. And now they can actually proactively notify you when something unusual happens in your house. So an example might be, you know, if you, if you guys, you know, during weekdays leave and your house is empty and then the door opens like maybe one of you forgot something and came back in the middle of the day, it's actually going to send you a notification because that's something weird that happened that doesn't mm-hmm. usually happen. And it takes into account weekends, holidays, that sort of thing. So it, it sounds actually really interesting. The crazy part about this plan is they're working with Qualcomm to develop a drone that somehow your house would launch the drone when one of these things happens so you could get a visual on your hmm. house. And I'm kind of like, yeah, that's not real. Insights is real. That is something they're working on. Interesting. I don't want to see all these drones flying up out of my neighbor's houses when walking the dog or something. Well, I'm for just one like, thing. Where are the drone landing pads in mm-hmm. our house? That 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 is like a legit question. <laughs> it's an excellent question. Absolutely. I don't know. The the other thing is going back to when it notices using the the AI insights platform when it notices something different out of the norm. I think that's Interesting, but also in a sense scary because I know we're going to talk about IoT security in a, in a few seconds, but basically it's learning the patterns of how you come and go from your house and do things in your house and so on and so forth. And if that information gets used by some third party, you know, stolen or hacked or whatever, that's really scary because now it's like, oh, I know these folks, uh, you know, are gone every other weekend because AI Insights is telling me this. And that's kind of concerning to me. Well, yes, but that's, that'll be, I mean, the company will take security measures for that. I think the challenge will be if someone at alarm.com, for example, or someone who has, you know, they see that and that could be 
Mm-hmm. They'd know whose houses to burgle. But that's that's a problem that alarm companies, you know, even things like, you know, the mail carriers and the newspaper people, like I my my mother-in-law never stops her newspaper because she feels like that person, mm-hmm. the carrier may rob her house. Sure, sure. And and to be honest, I mean, we we kind of become accustomed to checking into places online anyway and telling people our whereabouts. So, you know, even without knowing the patterns, you could look at somebody's Facebook page and maybe they have checked in their place and you're like, oh, they're not home. Let me go rob their house or whatever. So it's it's not a unique new situation. It's just I just worry about all that data on my my living patterns that are available in, in one spot. And let's talk about the other security device that you saw, Kevin. Yeah. So I could swear that just one or two shows ago, I said, I wish the router companies would beef up security on their routers to kind of integrate IoT security, right? Again, I don't remember if I did or not, if I I should have, but uh, it looks like Symantec is actually doing just that. They have announced the Norton Core router, which does sort of look like a disco ball. It's a geodesic dome type of, of shape. It has multiple USB ports on it. And the big thing here is besides being a typical Wi-Fi router, it can protect your home, basically. It's kind of like the front door of all your IoT devices. Lock the front door and everything should be safe. So they're using data encryption, secure DNS, uh, automatic updates, which is key, I think, when, when it comes to IoT security. It will help protect your web traffic, give you warnings if there is some insecure or unsecure web traffic going through. It's got parental controls. You can prioritize Wi-Fi to devices. So it's kind of got all of the table stakes of a regular Wi-Fi router for the home, but also adds the ability to update in case of of IoT issues or web attacks and so on and so forth. So I think it is available for pre-order now. I know they just announced it, but it is uh, pre-order for $200, which isn't too, too bad. And that $200 includes a one-year subscription to their Core Security Plus program for all your updates. Regular price is going to be $280. So I'm kind of intrigued by this. I don't need a new router, but this is exactly what I want to see. I want to see more security at the router level for for all the IoT devices behind the router. I agree. I am a huge fan of that. Now, some ways to do that, and like there are actually protocols that are like trying to do that by limiting what devices can talk to what other devices. So your door Mm -hmm. lock can never talk to your fridge. Right. So that is yet another, and that's not a... Either or, that's kind of in addition to. So another layer. Okay, so more news. We're just going to run through some crazy stuff. So speaking of security, Uma, the voice over IP phone company. I don't know if you guys remember them. They're quite... Oh, yeah. They're they're still around doing well. They Um, are. I actually... My buddy and your buddy, Kevin, Dave Zatz, noted a couple weeks ago that they had an FCC filing for some smart home stuff. And now it is out. It is a home monitoring service that runs on your UMA Tello smart home service. So there are some sensors. There are basically just add this stuff. And it's, it's again, monitored home security. There's a camera. There's motion sensors. And, you know, you can just add this on. It becomes like a premium service that you can add to your voice calling. So it's, it's like the, maybe it's the new double play. Security and voice? Security Hmm. and broadband? No, security and broadband, they don't offer. You got to get your broadband elsewhere. Mm -hmm. If you're an UMA subscriber, I would definitely look at this because the whole monitoring is $6 extra a month. And if you're a premier 
customer of Uma's service, you get like, it's free. So they have a water sensor. That's going to be $30 that you have to pick up a motion sensor. That's $35 and door and window sensors for $25. Oh, there is no video camera yet. Okay. So I think this is interesting. It is legit and real. It can be out in the first quarter of this year. So yay. Other quick news, August, the door lock doorbells, keypads, they actually now integrate with the Logitech pop home switch and your Logitech Harmony home hub. You're not going to be able to unlock your doors with your voice though, guys, don't try it, but you can hit the pop switch and boom, your door will lock. Ta-da! So if you have like a good night thing associated with your hot pop switch, now you can add your August door lock. Nice. So uh, Wemo has a couple of updates. Uh, actually, Belkin has a couple of updates on their Wemo line, product line. They have a Wemo Mini, which is a thinner smart plug, about half the size of the old Wemo switch, which I still have two of the Insight switches, and they are big and bulky. Uh, these are nice and thin, uh, so you don't ha- you can actually have two of them plugged in very easily into a traditional outlet. There's still a little button on there in case you don't want to use your app or use your voice controls if you, if you do use them. Uh, I think that is $35 available for pre-order now. I saw it on Amazon yesterday. I think they said January 10th it'll actually be available. And it's called the Wemo Mini, which makes sense because it's minier. And I, then they also... Hmm? I was going to interrupt you just to say um, hmm. TP-Link has the same thing, also works with the Amazon Echo, which the Wemo ah. does. Um, it is same style. And that is the TP-Link HS105. People have been asking me about that. And that, that's a lovely smart plug. Um, and it is $40. So okay. keep going. I mean, if, they're, if they're essentially the same, I'm going to go with the cheaper one personally because they both work with uh, the, my Echo. So I'll be happy. Yeah. And then uh, Wemo also has a dimmer switch. It's their next generation smart dimming light switch. It has a night mode, prevents heart, harsh lights at night. And this also would work for with uh, voice controls, I presume. So you could you could dim things by voice if you have uh, an Echo, which is kind of nice. It will be in stores later in January. So this is an actual wall switch, though. This is not like a plug-in kind of thing. So this is something you'll have to install, I would say. Do you know what is so cool about this dimmer switch? I do not. One, that it exists because people have hated the fact that the Wemo light switch just... Mm-hmm turns on and off. That's silly. Um, but two, it has these lovely little LED lights on it and they change color based on what type of command triggered it. So if it's a voice <laughs> command, it turns aqua. If it's an, if this, then that command, it turns an amber color. And I feel like there are some other colors, but I <laughs> love the idea of giving someone a visual cue <laughs> of what triggered it. Because right now, I have Wemo switches that get triggered all the time by things, and I have no idea what <laughs> What <it>. just did that? <laughs> so, you know, that's kind of a nice thing. So if the lights come on in your room all of a sudden and you're like, what just happened? You can glance over there and you'll see, oh, someone gave a voice command or, oh, my, if this and that recipe must have been triggered, what? So that's actually kind of a really nice user interface yeah. thing. So I liked that a lot. Did you get to see this at CES Unveiled or some other? I did. Little... Okay. I, I got to see it. Now, they don't know exactly when it's going to be out. They're expecting it sometime later this year, but early this year. Like the plugs are out. Right. The lights are not. And I don't think they've set pricing yet for the lights. So we'll wait and see, but I can't wait to get my, my hot little hands on this. 
I'm just I'm curious because they mentioned using the Wemo app to custom calibrate for different bulb types. So did they talk about that or show that to you? They did not. It would have been a bad okay. place to show. But yeah, the lighting is always light. wacky over at CES. Yeah. So other quick news things. I'm going to find out more about this because it's really interesting and I don't have any other information. But Zigbee and Thread have introduced dot dot, which is ridiculous sounding, but dot dot mm-hmm. is going to be a language for smart home devices to communicate. And I'm kind of like, what? Is it like a protocol that compares with like IOTivity or AltJoin? Or is it just, you know, like profiles? Because Zigbee used to have these lovely profiles that made Zigbee things not work together. And they would, so I'm, I'm kind of like, I need more information. I've asked for it. When I get it, we'll update you. But it's worth noting that this exists. Yeah, and, and I noticed in their press release, they say that um, at CES, they're demoing prototypes of products that speak dot dot running on top of IP-based thread networks. Right. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense because Zigbee and Thread, same radio, slightly mm-hmm. different protocols, but they've been working together to get things to run Zigbee running over Thread. I can't remember, is Zigbee running over Thread or Thread running over Zigbee? I should figure that out. Yes. <laughs> Thread, it's thread running over Zigbee. That's a quick thing. Keep that in mind as we will come back to that. Other fast, fast, fast news. Neutron is going to work with smart things. Oh. Yay. Nice. Oh, you had something. Well, I was going to say real quick, it seems like everybody is trying to make Amazon Echoes. Yes. Lenovo made an Echo. I guess Mattel made an Echo. <laughs> you make an Echo. You make an Echo. And you make an Echo. Yeah. Well, we did talk about the Mattel one, but then the Lenovo one which is more expensive than the traditional, the native Echo. It looks like an Echo to me, and it's a cylinder and so on, but they've boosted the the speaker capability, so it's much, much louder. But it's just interesting that they're trying to make an Echo now, and all these other people are making Echoes by putting the Amazon's voice service package in there. And then that's even equating to cars, which some people are trying to put Echo in cars. It is true. Inrix, um, which is a traffic kind of prediction company out of Kirkland has a platform called open car where there's different things you can do with open car, but like finding parking spaces, it's kind of like a ways option too. So they have integrated the echo into their open car platform. And the other thing to know about open car is it competes with Apple's CarPlay and Google's Android Auto. But Kevin and I had a hard time finding things that actually used open car. Porsche apparently well, uses it for some things. Yeah, Porsche does, BMW does, and Volvo does, but they own they don't use the entire open car platform for everything. They they basically use a piece of it. Like BMW has in their i3 electric vehicle, they use Inrix to help find charging places nearby and so on and so forth. But what Inrix seems to be trying to do is bring in the Echo voice services into their platform so you could basically control your infotainment through voice in a car and so on, which again, you can do through CarPlay, Android Auto, and or whatever the car manufacturer uses for their own systems. But it's interesting because once you do that, you start bringing in ways to say, at home, I'm going to be going to such and such place, get me directions, send it to the car, and it's, it will work through, perhaps through your Echo and the Enrix open car platform. So there's a lot of possibilities here. But again, as you said, Stacey, we looked around. We don't see a ton of big partners, uh, car manufacturers, using the entire platform yet. 
although they could because most of them do not want to give their data to Google. So that could be one yeah. reason. And not everybody has an iPhone. I know, it's weird. Okay. <laughs> so lots of echoes, lots of computer vision, weird grooming products, tons of updates from our traditional smart companies. So, you know, we've got the Lutron and smart things, which by the way, you guys, that's going to be big for y'all who keep asking me about light switches because now you can you have yet another platform for Lutron, which actually means I may try to swap back over and not use the Wink platform. So we will see. We've got dot, 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 and service providers doing security and hubs all in one, mm-hmm. and possibly drone landing pads on your roof. And you know what? CES is just getting started. It is. <laughs> it is. Oh, we didn't talk about this. So... Next episode, I'm going to do a review of the Stringify platform. But in case you guys want to work ahead here, Stringify is like an if this, then that, but it's mm-hmm. far more powerful. It's only been iOS. I've used it on iOS and I've really had a lot of fun. You basically connect it to your gadgets and then you do this like kind of gooey programming thing where you're like, if this happens and it does this and this and this, you know, then make this happen. And you can control a lot of devices. So, the news out of CES is that they've just released their Android version, which I've been Yay. waiting for. So, review coming next week. But in the meantime, download it, see what you think. And I think that's plenty for now. Yeah, take a breath, catch your catch your breath, because you've got lots of walking, running around to do in the next couple of days. I'm going to bring you guys so many cool things. And remember, Monday, I'm going to put out a special CES episode. And then Thursday, we will have back to your regularly scheduled programming. All right, Kevin, we'll say goodbye for now. Get back to the show floors. No, not really. I'm going to get back to my coffee. (laughs) So you got to get back to the taxi cab lines. (laughs) I got to get back to the taxi cab lines. And you guys, please stay tuned for a message from our sponsor. And after that, Tim Crawford to talk about the CIO perspective on the Internet of Things. Hey everyone, we are interrupting the podcast with a message from this week's sponsor. This week's sponsor is Dell, and we have Jeff Brown, who is Vice President of Global IoT Sales at Dell EMC. Jeff, I'm more familiar with Dell from the data center and the computer space. What is it doing with IoT? What Dell is trying to do is focused on kind of the industrial embedded edge. And by embedded, I kind of, I'm talking about traditional embedded computers that are kind of long life rugged, industrial. When you think about some of the key applications in IoT, specifically on that industrial side, you really need something that's a little bit more rugged and robust to kind of handle those environments. We're taking the hardware solutions that we've come out with. We've come up with an IoT partner program that can really bring the software piece in to create kind of a hardware software solution in that industrial IoT space. You lead the sales team and your team is talking with customers What do you hear from them? One thing that we hear is they're trying to figure out what they're trying to do. So everybody understands IoT or broader terms, digital transformation is something that needs to be part of their focus and part of their strategy. And they're looking for Dell because we do business with 98% of the global Fortune 500. They're really looking for us to kind of help lead them down that path. So what customers really need to see is multiple layers of ROI. You know, one good example of that is in high value assets, mining equipment, heavy duty structural, 
high-cost medical equipment. You know, in terms of like predictive maintenance, they're monitoring, so they're getting that information back, which allows them to make better equipment in the future. They're also trying to understand when things are going to fail so they can provide a better service to their customers by sending parts before that part even fails. So what makes Dell's IoT hardware unique versus all of the other options out there? One of the reasons I came to Dell to lead this group is I really saw that there was a chance for somebody to be differentiated in this market, and and Dell is really doing that. They've taken their strategy around PCs and brought that to kind of the embedded gateway market, meaning that we can deliver products in weeks. Two, three weeks, we can deliver three, four, five hundred pieces. No one else in this market can do that. And in the IoT, there's a lot of lot of project-based type solutions going out there. So somebody wins a solution, they need hardware right away. So we can do that. The other piece, which is key, is global support. If you're talking about managing critical assets, if something does go down, they want to be able to get that swapped out really quickly, whether it's by a technician or get that product really quick. We have that today. And then I think the third area is the manageability piece. We're bringing that server workstation manageability that Dell has throughout its products and trying to bring that to the edge so that when people have these assets, they can actually monitor them and figure out the help, configure them, update them, all of those kind of things. There's a couple other ones, but those are really the key that are kind of differentiating ourselves in this market. Jeff, where can I find out more? Probably the best place to go would be www.delliotpartners.com. And that shows our products as well as our partner solutions. Hey, everyone, this is Stacy, and I'm coming back to you with the Internet of Things podcast. My guest today is Tim Crawford, who is a strategic advisor to CIOs with about 25 years in the IT industry. So, Tim, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Stacey, for the invitation to join you today. Really looking forward to the conversation. Me too. So I've known Tim for a long time. I've been reading him forever, especially when I was covering cloud computing. And you always struck me as being very attuned to like real life. So we might all be over here thinking, oh, this is going to be awesome. Everything's going to go to the cloud. And you were like, hold on, reality check, you guys here's how it's going to have to happen, and here's what real people think. So I'm hoping you can do that with kind of the Internet of Things and the CIO perspective today. Sure. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think that's that's a great uh, segue is that, you know, there are a lot of great things happening, but I do think there is a dose of reality that we just have to stop and take a breath and and recognize and respect. All right. Are CIOs coming to you asking about the Internet of Things yet? They absolutely are. But I think a lot of it comes from an educational standpoint. I've had a number of CIOs approach me and say, okay, I understand what IoT is from a definition standpoint. What I don't understand is how can it help my business? How does it fit in? I mean, I can think of some basic things such as sensors and telemetry, but I really don't understand how this works. And what they're really asking is help me connect the dots. And and that's a theme that that I often talk about is this concept of connecting the dots, but help me understand how this solves a business problem. Do they come to you like having a mandate from their board or from their CEO that says, Hey, go get me some of that IOT. You know, it's funny. You, you mentioned cloud earlier in the podcast, and I would say that I have seen a number of cases where 
boards of publicly traded companies have approached the executive team and specifically the CIO and said, we need to do cloud. I, I don't think IoT is there yet. At least I haven't seen it in mass where executives, and I would include the board of directors of an organization in that, are specifically calling out IoT. There are a lot of questions about it, but not where they're calling it out saying, okay, we need to do this. For the most part, I would put IoT still in that experimental camp. So very few companies are looking at it on the whole, on on a uh, broad take, but more so from that experimental or very specific use case. And do you think that's the right way to look at it? I mean, I hear so much about like IoT is business transformation, but you also hear kind of, it feels like conflicting advice, which is pick a small project, see if it works, and then go from there, basically, to spread out through your business, see what else you can apply that to. So I'm, I'm very curious, like what your kind of tactical advice is on that. Yeah, this is where we have to separate the wheat from the chaff. You know, every technology becomes a business transformation opportunity. I've had startups that I've advised that they've approached me with their pitch, and their pitch is, We transform businesses. And my initial reaction is, without saying the words, is basically hogwash. Only I use more eloquent words. And the reason for that is that from a credibility standpoint, they don't do that. I mean, IoT, whether it's IoT, cloud, uh, pick your favorite new technology, it in itself doesn't do anything for you. It's how you use it is the differentiator. And so I think that's a real important distinction because the company that builds the IoT solution, whether it be an ISV or a consultant or a product company, they don't do anything for your business directly. In fact, in many cases, they don't even understand your business. Or if they do, they don't understand the intricacies of it. And so that's why I think it's really, really important for people to understand there is no magic bullet here. It's a partnership. You have to understand what tools to use and then how to appropriately apply those tools. And so eventually what you start to realize is they're selling you on something that is not necessarily meaningful. It sounds good, but it's not something that you can really kind of tangibly get into. And that, to me, is a is a real problem that I see. I saw it in cloud, and I see it in spades and IoT right now. You've got a lot of folks selling on a promise that will never be fulfilled Let's get into some of the deployments you've seen. Like, what are people doing that are successful nowadays? There are a couple of uh, examples of that. One is where the um, technology hits the customer, that customer engagement opportunity. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who is a CIO in retail, in a retail business. He was asking the question about IoT and how IoT kind of fits in. And I said, you know, there's a great way for it to fit in. And and I'll give you a, a perfect example of this. Imagine putting telemetry on the baskets, right? The little hand baskets that you carry around the store or putting it on the shopping carts. Now you start to understand the path that shoppers are taking through your store. So you can kind of figure out where, what are hot spots and cold spots within the store. Now, if you were to take that and tie it to particular transactions, like this cart went through this register and that was tied to this frequent shopper because they have a loyalty card, now you can start to understand more behaviors about the customer and their buying habits when they're in the store. Now, some might say, wait a second, that's a little big brother for me. But 
if you can really start to understand what is selling and what isn't selling more than just a binary yes or no, but rather to say, you know, they kind of went by the shirts or went by the pants, but they really just bought socks. I think that gives you some insights that you wouldn't otherwise have access to. And that's, to me, what this is all about is IoT, like cloud before it, it gives you the ability to do something you couldn't otherwise do other than having an employee follow a customer around the store and say, oh, they went to this one and went to this aisle and this aisle, but not that aisle. That'd be a little creepy. Also Uh, very expensive. Yes, incredibly expensive, right? That's part of what we're talking about here is IoT gives you the, the data stream, the information in an automated way without having to induce more labor into the equation, which is, as you mentioned, expensive and error prone. Okay, so now... CIOs are already in charge of like maintaining computers and now we're sticking computers and everything. And that feels like a huge expansion of their, you know, purview. So who's going to be in charge of these things on the tech side? Is it still the CIO? And does that mean their role kind of changes to adapt to controlling more things? Or should they also be dealing with the business side more now too? And I guess it's really, what does the CIO do when we have like this grand connected retail establishment? I think the first thing you have to do is is take a step back and let's just spend a couple of seconds talking about how the CIO's role is changing, because I think that creates the context in which to answer your question. The CIO historically has been a technology leader, and it's what I've referred to for some time now is the traditional CIO. But there's a new type of CIO that's come about, and that's the transformational CIO. And the difference between those two individuals fundamentally is one is very technology-centric, the traditional one, and the transformational one is very business-centric. And what I mean by that is that the transformational CIO, say that 10 times fast, um, the transformational CIO is a business leader first that happens to have responsibility for IT. Now, notice I say IT, not technology. And the reason for that is that The IT organization needs to be more business-centric today than it ever has been. So understanding that context, to answer your question, the CIO quite often will not be involved in these technology conversations, the transformational CIO, that is. And so they're more focused on, if we're talking about the shopping cart example, how does this really solve a business problem for me? How do I tie... IOT into a business problem. And if I can't tie it into a business problem and it's just about, ooh, cool, we can put telemetry on shopping carts. Okay, that's interesting, maybe, but why are we doing it? We've got a big, huge, heaping plate of things to do that's overflowing and that hasn't changed. And we want to throw a cool, nifty little thing on the plate without tying it to a business centric problem that we're trying to solve. That's going to be really hard to get support and funding for. Okay. And what skills do you think the CIO needs and the organization needs as we start to embrace all of this, these new sensors, these new ways of managing data? I'm just trying to think about the guy who's really good at like troubleshooting computer problems. Do you send him out to, you know, install the sensors? Does that change your types of people you hire, the skills you need? The CIO needs to understand a couple of things. Number one, They need to understand how the company spends money and how the company makes money. And I don't mean, you know, that they sell pants and sell shirts and sell socks, if that's the case. What I mean is that 
they need to understand how the customer engages and the different opportunities the customer has to engage and purchase those products. But they also need to understand the whole supply chain of how products are designed, the timeline that they go through for design to manufacturing to supply chain to distribution and how all of that works, soup to nuts. Now, that's a very tall order, but to a large degree these days, the CIO needs to be thinking like in the role of the CEO. And I don't mean the CEO of IT. I mean the CEO of the company. And so there's a much broader purview that the CIO needs to have. What that means then is that a lot of these technology conversations, because you will need to have those technology conversations, those need to be pushed further into the IT organization. And so IT needs to understand that. And so, of course, there are new skill sets with regards to new architectures around IoT. And I've written a bit about you know, some suggested architectures for IoT to, to have the conversation because that's a whole nother thing, right? Everything falls into the IoT bucket, but IoT is not IoT is not IoT. And so understanding that is really important. And so those new skill sets are required within the IT organization. It is a division of labor. Even within the IT organization, you still have to have some business sense today. It still can't be a technology-centric conversation. In line with this conversation about skills, right now there is a lot of back and forth in the kind of industrial or enterprise IoT space about this bridging of information technology with operations technology. And, you know, you hear the IT-OT divide, and it's a lot of a lot of acronyms, but it's also kind of an interesting discussion because a lot of the IT people and the CIOs are like, oh my God, I have to deal with like fire alarm systems. Ah, I'm, I'm working on our email. So there's this like concern about like where the role of facilities kind of management comes in here and if it does at all. And I'd be curious about your take on that. You know, it's, it's funny you bring that up because I can recall, uh, a very distinct conversation I had several years ago um, in a past organization where the facilities organization had responsibility for the photocopiers, you know, the copy machines. And these machines got really complex really fast. They started connecting to the internet, connecting to your network. They had a hard drive in them. They had software that had to be updated. And the facilities folks said, ah, this is out of our wheelhouse. We don't know what to do with it. It's all technology. And they kept calling IT to, to help address it, help uh, you know resolve it. Because we had processes, we had means to be able to handle all of the, the functions. We just couldn't deal with things like supplies and, and that type of stuff. Although, arguably, it's somewhat like a printer. But anyway, it was interesting to have that conversation because I think the one thing you have to be careful about is if you use an assumption that as soon as it connects to a network, it falls under the purview of IT. IT becomes this massive organization that's responsible for a lot of things that it doesn't necessarily understand and shouldn't necessarily manage, but rather other parts of the organization need to get more sophisticated too. And so I think there's a balance to be struck there. And, and we're just seeing kind of the, the inkling of the pendulum starting to swing in the other direction. And eventually it'll swing back to something more neutral. So let's let's kind of delve into this a little bit because there are things like security that is probably very much something that, I mean, I know we have CISOs, CISOs, 
Is that how you say it? CISOs? Right. CISOs. CISOs. So I know we have CISOs now that are like totally responsible for that. And when you think about things like the target breach, which was coming in through an HVAC system to the point of sale system to steal people's credit cards, that suddenly becomes like, holy jeebus, that's on the network. Is that IT? When you're dealing with all of these devices that people are going to be plugging on or attaching to your network, it becomes like, oh, who's in charge of that? I guess the the thing that I often get pulled into is the conversation around security, regardless of what it is, right? You know, we talk about comparing some of the analogs of IoT to cloud. It's the same issue. We had the same conversation about security when the internet came about in the 90s. Oh, we're not going to use it because it's insecure. Okay, well, today, if you don't use it, you're you're a Neanderthal. You know, and we had the same conversation about distributed computing. We had the same conversation about cloud. We're having the same conversation about IoT. The bigger challenge, though, with IoT, unlike the other predecessors to this, is the sheer number of devices that we're talking about and the intelligence of the devices, it creates an exponentially more complicated problem to solve for that we don't necessarily have a direct answer for. And what I mean by that is, if you think about every single device in your house, you know, forget about your office for a minute, just think about your house from a personal standpoint. How many devices do you have that connect to your internet service? And if you start adding it up, I think on average, you'd probably have somewhere between 10 and 20 devices for an average household. That's a lot of devices, and that's probably not even everything that could connect. And so how do you manage those devices becomes the second piece of it, which is we're talking about sensors. We're talking about small uh, circuitry and technology and small bits of software that now we have to figure out how to effectively secure. And that becomes incredibly problematic, not just on a personal standpoint in our homes, but think about it now in the office, in the corporate environment. It's a problem. It's a perennial conversation that they bring up, which is, okay, I want to do this, but how do I secure it? And even when they say those words, the whole concept of how do I secure it has a whole nother set of questions that come with it. Well, what do you mean by secure it, right? What does that, what exactly does that mean? And how much do you want to secure it? Do you want it to be like Fort Knox? Do you want it to be just something that kind of keeps the riffraff out? It feels like we have to come up with a new model for security, like a new mental model, because like the firewall model doesn't work. The giant hole to dump your traffic in for it to be cleaned kind of doesn't work like it did for cloud. And just going back again to your retail example, you're going to be putting connected carts in the hands of your users, which means you can't even protect the physical assets in many cases. They're going to be in the hands of other people. And then you're opening up maybe not ports, but opening up doors into your system via like APIs, for example, you're basically sticking a lot of stuff outside whatever walls you may have built in you're both physically and virtually. So I just don't, I don't even know how to think about that. You're more spot on than you probably think you are. Because the issue here is the old adage of crunchy on the outside, chewy on the inside, that perimeter security paradigm has long since been dead. More than a dozen years ago, I was with an organization that it was an institution. It was at Stanford University. And here's a prominent institution. And one of the paradigms that we had to look at is we had to assume that in our in the world that I lived in there, we had to assume that our network was a dirty network. 
as the default thinking. Most corporate entities don't think that way. They think of their internal network as a clean network and you set up the perimeter and all the sensors to be able to protect you. And as long as something's on the inside, you're good. But when you're talking about a um, college students, dirty, dirty yeah. college students with their well, Napster and <laughs> that's exactly right. Right. You know, unlike a corporate environment where 90 percent of the devices you know about, you have the random consultant or whatnot that comes in and plugs into your network in an educational institution, 90 percent of the devices you don't touch, you don't have control over. And so it changes the paradigm. And I think that's part of what we have to start to think about a bit is how do we start to assume that we're not in a secure world, we don't live in a secure network, and so we have to take appropriate precautions. We can't make that assumption that, oh, well, if we just plug it on our network and it sits behind our firewall, we're good to go, right? Wrong. You know, in the retail example with the shopping carts, how many times have you seen a shopping cart out in some random parking lot somewhere that's nowhere near the store that it belongs to? Now, imagine if it has an IoT device on it, and you get some kid that wants to kind of tinker around and hack that system. Great. So now they've got the device. The device is connected into your your network. Now they have full access to be able to tinker around and play with it outside of your purview. That's just one simple example, but I think we could go on for days and days talking about examples in just about every industry, too. And that's the other thing to think about is what we're talking about today is not relegated to just retail or just certain industries. There are examples of this that cross every single industry that I've run across so far. Guys, this is very real talk. And if you want examples from other industries and other thinking, you're going to have to call Tim because we are out of time. But Tim, thank you so much for coming on the show this week. Thanks, Stacey. I appreciate the opportunity and love the conversation. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you again next week on the Internet of Things podcast. And if you don't get enough IoT news from this show, feel free to sign up for my newsletter, Stacy Knows Things, at stacyoniot.com.